This is Michael Perry and Heather Perry. Welcome back to another episode of Couch and Coffee Table. Uh, for this particular episode, we're going to be talking about adaptations of various authors. We have three in particular uh, that would be Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and Stephen King. These three I chose just because of this time of the year, mainly. Uh, they're also three favorites for any time of the year if you are a horror aficionado. But for me, I felt that these three would be a nice topic of discussion because there are a lot of really good film adaptations out there of Poe's work and a handful of good adaptations for Lovecraft, although Lovecraft doesn't get covered as often. Mainly that's a copyright issue. There's some there's some dubiousness about exactly when a few things were published, which makes the idea of when Lovecraft stories go public domain and thus right. being able to be used as, as uh, material for films. We're seeing a few more here and there, but a lot of times you can get an echo of Lovecraft or the flavor of Lovecraft, which is probably radioactive. Um, but we don't have too many straight adaptations. Like We'll get into that, though. Today, I think you wanted to focus on Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, yes, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, possibly some Lovecraft if we have time, and... King may be his own episode by himself <laughs> just because he'll need to be. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, lots of Mr. King's work have been, has been adapted and well over the years. And I would also be quick to say it's, it's nice that you, the difference between him and the other two is that he is there to actually adapt the work for film. Mm -hmm. And he has done so in a handful of occasions. And that's very good whenever you have the author just right there on set and you can turn and say, hey. <laughs> what did you mean by cockroaches here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this really how you wanted the dungeon to look for Salem's Lot, man? Oh, I think I think Edgar Allan Poe would have faint. If you had Poe on a film set, <laughs> I think he'd be overwhelmed. He might be. He might be. Definitely uh, Lovecraft would have been because he's a huge germaphobe. I think he's, <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. I, I yeah. believe he's a, he was a germaphobe. Uh, wasn't he? he was also just, you know, basement dwelling sort of. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. Didn't, didn't really like people, crowds kind of guy. I mean, okay. he used to go walking a lot, uh, but. He was social distancing before anybody else was. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Howard. But um, so we, we were talking and, and Michael and I, most of the, the favorite Poe adaptations that we have, the ones we watch most often, I would say, um, are the ones by Roger Corman and frequently featuring Vincent Price. Yes. And um, I think one of my favorites is uh, The Tomb of Lygia. Uh I did not, I didn't ever tell you this, but the first year I was down here for university, that was my Halloween costume. I was Lygia. Ha! Huh. And uh, this, this basically was me in a white dress with weird eye makeup, but nobody recognized me. And of course I thought, oh, I'm on campus. Here I am 
in a nondescript white dress with weird eye makeup. Of course, everyone will know it's the Tomb of Lygia. And that nope. was ridiculous. <laughs> nope. Not even not even a Poe fan would have recognized me. Uh-uh. Even, there was absolutely nothing to say this is this particular uh, deranged woman back from the dead. But, um, yeah. Nope, didn't happen. <laughs> Excellent <laughs> film with Vincent Price, though. Um, he is very natally dressed uh, in his uh, a fashion you will later see in uh, Coppola's Dracula. Uh, yeah. I think he carries it better than Gary Oldman, frankly. <laughs> um, and you, you, what is your favorite Poe adaptation? I believe that with the, with Edgar Allan Poe, my introduction to the Corman, Roger Corman and Vincent Price would have been a double header of Fall of the House of Usher and The Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, both of those I saw right around the same time. I was working at a video store at the time and got them because mm-hmm. I was allowed three free rentals. And I was yes. just like, oh, well, hey, let's take a look at these because Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, my main introduction to Vincent would have been House on Haunted Hill and (laughs) House of Wax. Nice. But House on Haunted Hill was really the first big Vincent Price movie I saw, and I loved it. Part of that was it was black and white. So it was just black and white, old-fashioned, down and dirty. And with black and white, you also get a little bit more... A little bit more grittiness with yeah. the film, I think. That I think that's the charm of the Universal Monster movies as well, and some of these others. But the Corman and Vincent Price movies were nice as far as the Fall of House of Usher and Pit and the Pendulum because it just had such a splash of color, right? And in every sense of the word, with the credits yeah. on a couple of those, it's very much a splash of color. Very good costuming in both. I think it's this. Is it the same set? Because Corman, Corman was famous for reusing sets, and so there's a there's a, a fire scene in Tomb of Lygia that is this. They burnt down a set, and I think they used the same footage from either Usher or yeah. I think it was from Usher. Uh, if I, you're going to set fire to a giant set, absolutely use the footage as much as you can. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> but yeah. it's uh, I, you know. I feel like that I, I don't fault Roger Corman for that because I'm looking at it going making movies costs money mm-hmm. and anywhere you can find a way to budget. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm all yeah. for that. Kudos to him for being able to intercut a lot of different things in. Yeah. And yeah, he reused multiple sets. Well, that just, for me, that just makes the latter films more rich because he kept acquiring pieces. So the earlier films are a little more sparse. By the time you get to the later films, you have a fully kitted out set and you might recognize bits and pieces. But one of my favorite things to do with Hammer films is try and see how they dress up Bray Studios this time. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's um, very true. That like Dracula's main hall with the the columns that have the, uh, the carved stone columns in those films i loved i loved bray studios i wanted to live there when i was a child um so yeah (laughs) 
Um, it does. It does add to a lot of the decoration, uh, the Hammer films do, because the atmosphere is just so incredible mm -hmm. at Bray. I yeah. mean, I've only seen like pictures of the outside, mm -hmm. but I do love those films because most of the stuff that I've seen from Hammer, it it has such a unique style. A mm -hmm. lot of the stuff I've seen is full on color. I mean, the frames were painted in blood, mm -hmm. at least fake blood, that Kiro Syrup. That is but. one of my favorite sets of just the Hammer, Hammer Horror Film special effects. Um, at the end of the picture, someone is dying or dissolving. Uh, usually it's vampires, poor Christopher Lee. And they had a technique of showing, showing the skull dissolve that I loved as a kid. Um, I don't know how they did it. I, I haven't looked into it thoroughly, but I would love to recreate it because it seems like it's something you could do in your kitchen. I mean, there's probably baking soda yeah, involved yeah. and a good deal of vinegar because mm. it's very foamy in places. But I just thought that was the neatest thing when I was a kid. And as an adult, it, it charms me is really the wrong phrasing to <laughs> use. One shouldn't be charmed by a dissolving skull, but there we have it. Um, it's, it's an effect that reminds me of the wonder I had as a kid. And uh, it, by comparison of today's special effects, it's, it is charming. I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot of the effects that I've noticed with the older films that we're talking about, they pull back quite a bit. The, mm -hmm. the, the effects are subtle. It's subdued, yeah. And there, there is a lot to be said for that. I mean, I think the effects should be done. And this, this is an obvious thing. And most any and all horror film, all horror filmmakers know this is just you know the effects are dictated by the script. So right. you know, if you need something big and just make the crowd jump and really seriously scare the hell out of them, elevator then, okay. full of blood. Yeah. Kitty. You know, that kind of thing. We have cats. I'm yelling at one of them. Uh, so we can't really have a discussion of of Poe. What was she doing? Sorry. We, ha we can't have a discussion of Poe without talking about um, all of the teamwork that Vincent Price and Peter Laurie did. Uh, some of our favorite films um, involve those two with a couple, uh, a couple of other actors and uh, have to lead off talking about the Raven. So the Raven has, uh, has Peter Lorre and Vincent Price. It's got a very young Jack Nicholson who is brilliant in a comedic role playing opposite Peter Lorre and their timing is impeccable. So that that is absolutely worth seeing. Um, it's probably the best comedic work I've seen Nicholson do. Um, and uh, Boris Karloff, my beloved Boris Karloff, is in the film. It bears little resemblance to the to the poem. Uh, there is a character named Lenore, and there there is a raven. And uh, Vincent may recite a bit of the poem at some point. There's a knocking at the chamber door, definitely, and a bust of, yeah. of Athena. 
Yeah. But that's about all you're going to get. And the rest of it is just a complete romp. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Take a look at it. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I always look at it as kind of like a, a sequel for the Harry Potters because you could very much see all of these guys interacting at Hogwarts. It's, it's interesting. Sequel it's interesting. Prequel. Prequel. Gotcha. Prequel. Prequel. If I said sequel, I didn't mean to. No um, but there are, there are quite a few Vincent Price Corman's like that. Uh, the Haunted Palace, which is a play on both a Lovecraft and a Poe. Mm -hmm. Because you have the poem of the Haunted Palace. And you have the story of Lovecraft's The Strange Case of Charles Dexter Ward. And that's an interesting film because you've got all these different elements that also has Lon Chaney mm -hmm. Jr. in it. And it's, it's a really good film, uh, much like with the rest of them, great use of color. Mm -hmm. Another favorite, I'm another favorite as far as Vincent Price would be <laughs> uh, the mask of the red death. Mm. I believe that's Poe. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that that's one, a favorite just because of the costuming period pieces and stuff like that. That one does a good job. It also combines the the short story Hop Frog. Uh, so you've got Mask of the Red Death with Hop Frog in the middle and if you're familiar with Hop Frog, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a there is a tyrant and uh, a character that plays a glorious prank. Uh, the jester, the court jester and the actor in Mask of the Red Death, whose name escapes me. Um, he's in a couple different uh, horror films that we have. He's he makes an appearance in Vampire the Vampire Circus. Um, mm -hmm. He has a glorious voice, and he's a very good actor. Um, he's always like when he's on screen, you absolutely you can't really look at anything else because he just he takes over, he takes over the shot in the best way. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's alive anymore, unfortunately. Uh, mm. I'm trying to look up his name. While you're doing that, I did want to mention, uh, the, there was a, a short TV special, um, mm. maybe under an hour that was done in 1970 by Vincent Price called An Evening of Edgar Allan Poe. And it's a one man show. And it's done very well. The opening is with the tell tale heart and his rendition of it is, is really worth tuning in for. Uh, he also does one man for the cask of Amontillado, which is a really fun story for me. I, I enjoy that one. I, I, I don't mean to sound ghoulish here. I, no, 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 no. That is that is the best. It's a really good revenge story. Skip Martin. That's who we're talking about. Oh, for Hot Frog from yeah, Mask of the Red Dead? Yeah, from Hot Mask of Okay, Hot Toad. Yeah, Skip Sorry. Martin. So shout out to him. He is a phenomenal actor. Glorious voice. Um, yeah, <laughs> you can't miss him. Uh, you mentioned the wonderful... Uh, one-man show that Vincent Price does. I definitely wanted to mention the 2013 animated adaptation of... Yes, uh, yes. 
it's not tales of terror. It's extraordinary tales, extraordinary tales. Yes. Yes. Go find that, go watch it. Um, it takes audio recording of, of multiple different eras. I mean, Bella Lugosi is there. Um, Julian Sands, Julian Sands, Julian, amazing (laughs) in the warlock Sands. Yes. Hello, Mr. Sands. Hello. (laughs) Oh, you are so nice. Anyway. Um, and also of course, Christopher Lee and the animation styles are really very striking. Um, they're varied. Each each story has its own style. Uh, the Lugosi story is very starkly animated in black and white with maybe a touch of color. Um, it's it's brilliantly done. Um, yeah, yeah, it stumbled is. Stumbled into that one like last year, or the year before, something like that. Yeah, so I think it was year before mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. that we we just kind of mm-hmm. stumbled onto that on cable, yeah. and it. Loved it instantly. Um, You can find it online. We ordered it offline, so it is out there. Um, If you are looking for a film and you find any, anything really done with Vincent Price and Peter Lorre, watch it because those two were a capital pairing. Um, Peter Laurie was phenomenal actor in the uh, 30s and 40s uh, in Germany, and I've not really seen much of his early work, and that's that's a failing on my part. But I have seen M, and M is striking. Um, yes, it is. It's Laurie in a serious role. It's a young Laurie, so it's not the caricature of himself that American audiences might be more familiar with, uh, when he was older, suffering from, uh, gallbladder issues and, uh, having some problems with morphine to control his pain. Mm-hmm. But, um, he was a brilliant actor and I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, if you are wanting a good comedic double header based on Poe, I would start with the Raven. And I would move on to Tales of Terror. I'm sorry, not Tales of Terror. The Comedy of Terror. Comedy of Terrors, which is not a Poe adaptation, but it's got Basil Rathbone and yeah. Boris Karloff, yeah. who's phenomenal, always, and Vincent Price and Peter Lorre, and uh, who, is the, who is the actress? I forget, but she has... Was it Louise Jameson? Who? Louise Jameson? I'm not sure. Oh, that's probably wrong. Anyway... Brilliant actress. Brilliant. Just a moment. We'll have that information for you. <laughs> Please hold. Um, <laughs> but very good film, Comedy of Terrors. Uh, it, it is a nice pairing of the three of them together, that one and The Raven. I'm trying to remember if they were in something. Joyce Jameson. Okay. Joyce Jameson. She's Amaryllis and she's fabulous. Uh, 1963 comedy of terrors uh they run a mortuary yep and it's it's marvelous yep it it's really good <laughs> it's it's a fun movie for those that wish to not take death all that seriously <laughs> uh hmm. let's see there's there's some other ones that i was thinking of i mean 
most of the time, even if you don't have uh, Roger Corman and Vincent doing a Poe, just what? having these two together. <laughs> Is that possible? Uh, yeah, it's Sorry. possible. <laughs> I know he's done other films. <laughs> Yeah, Vincent's, oh God. Not Vincent, or Corman. I know Corman has done other things. Oh, both, films. both have got like a laundry list <laughs> of just films that would choke a small herd of horses because yes, there they, is just so thing. many films. So many if films. you have a recommendation of an Edgar Allan Poe film adaptation that you enjoy that does not involve Roger Corman or Vincent Price, let us know. Last episode, we'd asked for recommendations of spooky sea horror movies, and our friend Anne mentioned The Lighthouse, which is a recent film with William Defoe and Robert Pattinson. Patterson? Yeah. Um, we have not yet had a chance to see this, but it is on the list. Uh, I may choose to wait until after the semester is over to watch it so I can really enjoy it and I don't have to go back and start studying. Um, yeah. But thank you, Anne. That is on the list, and we'll make sure to watch that. Uh, can't wait. I saw we saw previews of it, and it looks really atmospheric and spooky. Um, yeah, it, it got a theatrical release because mm -hmm. I remember seeing bits and pieces of it here and there whenever I was working at the movie theater. So mm -hmm. I know it got a release, and the audiences reacted to it. Yeah, pretty pretty well mm -hmm. i mean i i, I was good things when i heard things yeah so that's on the list uh let's see we've seen adaptations of cask of amontillado there is a yeah. there is an adaptation of the black cat with um with price and lori uh that also really doesn't resemble uh mr poe's short story at all yeah uh, there is a black cat <laughs> But that's about it, and it's that, a it's a fun one. That is from the Tales of Terror, and I'm not sure because I know that uh, they're, they're tossing around Peter's head. He's the drunkard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good film. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's a there's a good scene. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> and of course. You can't go wrong with with uh, Lorian Price and a bunch of cats. That's uh, true. I think Joyce Jameson is in it again, as well. Yeah, she yeah. is. I'm. That's gonna bug me now. She's lovely. Uh, Michael. The, the title of the uh, film in particular. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I thought it was just the black cat, but uh, because they they did. It's it's a for me it's it's linked to uh, comedy of terrors because the three principal actors uh, Jameson Price and Laurie sort of switch roles from film to film and uh, Ms. Jameson is uh, given the dubious prospect of which which one she would really like to to marry in each film. Um, because in, in one film, Vincent's the cad and she can't stand him, but Laurie is her knight in shining armor. In the other film, uh, yeah, she's married to Laurie, who's the cad, and Vincent is He plays is the her. part of a character named Fortunato Lucchesi. Yes. And <laughs> they have a really, Laurie and Price also have a really good scene 
about wine tasting. Oh in that. my goodness! Yes, and that is <laughs> all. Those are Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe, and it is Roger Corman. The usual suspects are cast. <laughs> so definitely, oh. Tales of Terror, really good film. You should definitely see it. 1962 is what the information dial is telling me. Did we talk about, uh, we talked about Haunted Palace. Yeah, briefly. Briefly. Okay. And uh, let's see, we've touched on Tomb of Ligeia. We touched on Pit and the Pendulum. Pit and the Pendulum, House of Usher. A lot of what we touched on with those two was mainly the style thereof. And Mm I love the style that those two had. I could watch right. those anytime, not yeah. just not just for October or fall, but right. just anytime, any time of the weekend or whatever mm-hmm. like that or the week. If I'm looking for a nice, subtle, scary to have with my tea or hot chocolate, then that that would yeah. be almost a go to. Those are on the regular rotation. We'll watch those any time of the year, all year. Yeah. Uh, let me see. There's. You mentioned murders in the Rue Morgue. Uh, I did mention that we were talking yeah. about that earlier. Uh, okay. Murders in the Rue Morgue. I've got a couple of different. Mm-hmm. Well, I had one adaptation that wasn't. It wasn't bad, but it just. It's it, a difficult story to adapt. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the premature burial mm-hmm. with Ray right. Milland yes. is. It's really good. And it's a really good Poe adaptation. Which particular Poe is it adapted from? Do we know? I'm not sure. It, it was a common theme in his work. Yeah. Premature burial. I mean, we, we talked yeah, about being, he, Yeah, he had a fear of uh, being buried alive. Beatrice, of course. Uh-huh. Um, I think we, we were talking about Beatrice earlier with the teeth. Yeah. Um, briefly, yeah. Uh, did I mention... This time around, did I mention, uh, I did not, the thing on the doorstep, because that's Lovecraft. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, had we talked this time around about radio adaptations? Uh, no. There are some really good Poe mm. radio adaptations out there, old-time radio. Uh, uh, Suspense did some. Uh, the Witch's Tale, possibly Escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lights Out is mm-hmm. another one that comes to mind that they they may or may not have done some Poe, but all of these are really good horror anthology old-time radio shows mm-hmm. and well worth a listen. Yeah. If uh, you like podcasts, try radio. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. And a lot of the shows have the old commercials, which is, is a lot of fun to hear. Uh, so Vincent Price will tell you to try Lux Soap or Roma wine and uh, or Lipton tea. I think he even shills Lipton. As yeah. Well. Uh, so I'm, that's a lot of fun. I know um, Lipton tea was on a couple of different ones that I have for some Karloff mm, old yeah. old time radio shows. Yeah. So Lipton backed him a couple of times anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let me see. I'm trying to think of some other things. <laughs> I'm Feeling like it's about time for our next section to just kind of pivot on to some Lovecraft because mm-hmm. I feel like we've almost mined everything mm-hmm. for Poe at this juncture. Gotcha. There aren't too many poems that are adapted. I mean, Poe only had one long novel. 
and I don't think I've ever had the patience to get through it. That's the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. <laughs> but um, his short his short horror stories are just a fountain of material, and a lot of his poems are creepy enough to stick with you, and certainly provide fertile ground for uh, any any storyteller or filmmaker. So have a have a look at some of the films, have a listen to some of the old radio shows, and uh, crack open a book here and there because um, the stories are short enough that they're not terrible to read. Uh, turn of last last century writing is a little more dense than we're used to. Uh, I used to chew through Herman Melville, and now it's really hard to get even on the Pequod. <laughs> the slog you have to do to get to the boat is uh, is kind of hard now that I'm in middle forties rather than when I was <laughs> yeah when I was in in grade school yeah. you know escaping math class by going whaling. Um, but it's very interesting just to see how these things are adapted. We're coming into our last minute, mm -hmm. and we'll be back shortly with some more on Lovecraft or some more about storytelling. So thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Welcome back. This is the second segment of our episode. And we're going to veer off a little bit. We're still going to be talking about Poe here and there, but we're also going to be talking about H.P. Lovecraft and also just what makes a pretty decent story into a really good story, if, if we can, on <laughs> I'm always kind of apprehensive about this sort of thing. Uh, just opinions that we have. We may put this more into a uh, bigger perspective for a later episode. But they're both men, both Poe and Lovecraft to me, both seem to have serious phobias and mm. problems with germs and all kinds of different things. And wasn't I don't think he was a germaphobe, but he was he was definitely strange. He was a weird guy. Yeah. Um, I think both both writers had some unusual family relationships. Um, this is true. Yeah. I don't know if either of either gentleman had a strong like strong connection with their fathers or tie with their fathers. I know mm -hmm. I know Poe definitely took his his stepfather's last name. He had his name changed and um, I think, I think Lovecraft had a very strong bond with his mom and yeah. possibly his aunt. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would not, I would never consider myself an expert on, on histories of either of them. Um, for Lovecraft, it's, it's tricky to get a straight Lovecraft story adaptation because of the copyright issues surrounding his stories. Um, many of them have been published a couple of times or the publishing history is a little dubious. <clears throat> so it's difficult to determine when things pass into public domain. And uh, it's also been a little convoluted where to get permission to use the stories. So we're seeing a few more adaptations lately. Like there's a, there's a really well done and scary rendition of Dagon. Um, yeah. There's uh, 
the group, the HP Lovecraft Society, which yes. produces amazing work. Um, I Indeed. first became aware of them a couple of years back. They did a phenomenal, phenomenal film for Call of Cthulhu. And go find it, go see it, because it is one of the finest examples of low-budget special effects and good, solid, practical effect filmmaking that I've seen in a while. Um and then the you know the making of is is pretty phenomenal. They'll go into some of the some of the different special effects they did, which um, for one or two effects amounted to building something in the backyard. And when you when you hear that story and you see the finished film, you won't believe it. It's just it's so well done. Um, yeah, they've also got a lot of really interesting uh, other materials. Uh, they do a lot of songs. Uh, which have replaced many of my favorite Christmas carols. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. a rousing chorus of it's beginning to look a lot like Fishmen. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. not to be missed. <laughs> um, there was a, there's a recent film out that we've not yet seen. And that's, uh, it doesn't have Nicolas Cage in it. Yes. Yes. Which one is that? Uh, the Color Out of Space, uh, I think is that particular yeah. one i've seen it uh up and about uh -huh. we we do have access to it okay we just haven't sat down to haven't watch it yet because gotcha. we just it's on give, the list <laughs> yeah it, we have a long list of things for the fall and on through november yeah. i have i have policy classes there is much reading um color of space is one of my favorite lovecraft stories and uh we've mentioned briefly that i'm an environmental scientist I deal with water and the water contamination at the heart of the story of the color out of space is something that interests me rather keenly in that, in that story. And also that, you know, that's what I do for a living. So, um, not radioactive outer space contaminants, but just you know, your regular old, do we have some cyanobacteria in this water or not? Um, so that's one of my yeah. favorite Lovecraft stories, but um, there was an adaptation of The Color Out of Space with my beloved Boris Karloff. Yes, uh, Die Monster Die. Yes, and so much fun. Yep, we. I can't remember the year of that, mm -hmm. but I know it was. I want to say late. Yeah, 60s, possibly 65. Trouble walking in it, so it's 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 later in his career. Yes, yes, it, it might be even 68. Uh, 65. Okay, is, I was is what the computer says. Okay, 65. Um, All right, so I was right the first time, then I changed my answer. That just happens <laughs> like that, folks. That just happens. That. Trust oh. that first answer, you know. <laughs> That's a good adaptation, and I, I you were the one yeah, that introduced is. me to it, and you had, did you have a Sammy Terry copy? Yes, yeah. I I had it, I have it hosted by a local horror host here in Indiana. Anyone from Indiana that's listening to this, I'm sure if you are of a certain age, you will be very familiar with Sammy Terry. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had the chance to see sammy a few times now at various shows and everything great shout out keep doing what you're doing um 
for those of much you, much respect for those of you new to to indiana or to sammy terry uh he is a horror host he is a ghoul and he is a very dab hand with the dad joke so if you want a a ghoulish halloween fun time that's that's pretty kid safe actually he is pretty kid safe he he is dressed a little bit like something out of the mask of the red death but <laughs> but that's part of his so well <laughs> it's part of his charm it really is oh goodness uh so i spent the first the first couple of viewings first couple of years actually seeing this film in a uh with sammy terry with sammy terry presentations a lot of times uh these were things people taped off the tv as they yeah. were brought so old vhs copies put over onto dvd and blurry is all bilio so it took me some years before i actually saw a clear version of this film and uh it it's still one of my favorites i think um we mentioned earlier in this in this episode uh the haunted palace which is a mashup of um the the Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Haunted Palace, and uh, Lovecraft's uh, The Strange Case of Charles Dexter Ward. And uh, essentially, uh, in an interview, Corman once said that he thought he was getting to write a Lovecraft film, and then at the last minute, uh, it was revealed that they, they didn't have the copyright permission they thought they did. So some scrambling was done, and the final film was billed as uh, an Edgar Allan Poe work. Now, if you've ever read Edgar Allan Poe's The Haunted Palace, it has absolutely nothing to do with the film, <laughs> except Sadly. maybe you know a line here and there about a gloomy manse in the on the heath or or something. Um, Dexter Ward is a fun romp of a of a short story, and uh, a a key element is uh, the essential salts. So uh, sometimes Michael and I will tease each other about that, especially in the kitchen. We'll have the essential salts uh, whereby uh, the titular character is trying to raise the dead. So there's some, <laughs> there's some necromancy going on. Um, it's a good film. It's a good film. Uh, Corman mashes up a few other elements of Lovecraft because we've got some, some tentacle business going on. Yeah, there, there um, are elements where I felt like it was very much Dagon, mm -hmm. Insmith, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, uh, towards the end of the mm -hmm. film. Yeah, the Lovecraft. We were we were going to talk a little bit about. Um, I, I'd ask Michael this morning what what elements make the best ghost story, because I, I had a handful in my pocket that I always, I always want to see in a good ghost story, but with Lovecraft stories, his, his best work, I think revolved around, and, and other people have said this better than I, I am about to, uh, revolved around the fear of the unknown. So, you know, it was the nameless horror. It was the unknowable horror. It was the horror so vast you couldn't comprehend it as a human being. It was just too big and your brain would fry. Um, and that is really what he touches on and what I think Corman brings out in a lot of, in, in, in the adaptation in the Honda Palace, just some seriously creepy stuff 
that doesn't really have a good explanation or um, cat passing through. Uh, it just makes you uneasy. And making film goers uneasy is, is a true art form. I, I don't often encounter it uh, quite the way I want to. And I'm, I'm trying to think of the best film ever to make me really creeped out. And I, I'm drawing a blank, unfortunately, because this, this particular thread of the conversation just occurred to me. Um, if I were, I mean, Lovecraft didn't really write about ghosts. He, he wrote about, uh, well, I, I guess, you know, being haunted by your past could be seen as a, as a ghost sort of thing, but, uh, Rats in the Walls is yes such a good story. <laughs> um, we do, we have heard that adapt, adapted, uh, to radio. So go find that. Um, Michael and I were both part of a program called Books Unbound that was put out by uh, WFHB here in Bloomington. So WFHB Radio, go find their website, go find their archive and look for Books Unbound because uh, that production company that we were part of did an excellent rendition of The Thing on the Doorstep by Lovecraft. And that absolutely has transgender topics in it and uh, is a good creepy read. So there's, there's a lot of meat on that particular bone. So go find that episode or go you know, pick up a copy and take a look at the short story because Lovecraft does a really good job writing. Um, you're going to encounter some archaic ideology, of course, because Lovecraft was writing in the 20s, but... It's um, it's a it's a good creepy fest. It's a good time. Uh, I think most people are f most familiar with Call of Cthulhu, but uh, there is a radio adaptation of um, Mountains of Madness that you adore. Yes, uh, I was going to talk about that at some point. The Atlanta Radio Theater are the ones that did this and mm -hmm. they also did an adaptation of pickman's model oh and i believe they did whispers. shadow over insmith as well did they do who did whispers in the dark uh that was the lovecraft, okay. lovecraft society okay. lovecraft historical society so did good. that as a film uh most of the ones at the atlanta uh atlanta theater radio um i'm saying that wrong i'm sorry atlanta radio theater uh, production company did at the mountains of madness was kind of my introduction to their adaptation was my introduction to hp lovecraft mm, gotcha so at the mountains of madness is very very special to me as far as the story is concerned uh the next one after that that i saw was the 1970 film the dumbwich whore with dean stockwell yep. and sandra d Another great movie. Um, there have been a couple different radio adaptations of Dunwich Horror, too. Yeah. That are very, very nicely done. Uh, currently, the director who just has been doing Lovecraft all over the place would be one Stuart Gordon. Oh. He is the one that did uh, the film Dagon. Oh, okay. He okay. also did a uh, 
adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House. Oh, that. Oh, that one. We saw that. Yep. Yep. We, we have. Uh, was that also the we, reanimator? He was also the one that directed the film Reanimator yeah. that everybody knows with Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. So Similar. that's that's three yeah. that he batted out of the park. Okay, yeah. Similar cast. That was really well done. Yeah, I believe yes, we have all three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because I've started to amass a little bit more Lovecraft in the past yeah. little bit. Something something came to mind and then it, it left again, I'm sorry to say. Oh, that's all right. Tip of my brain. Um, but At the Mountains of Madness, Dunwich Horror, Pickman's model I came to because of a series called The Night Gallery. That's what and was in my brain. Yes, thank you. There's a really good uh, adaptation of Pickman's model for Night Gallery. I mean, at least for me it was, but there was no, it's, another... It's a good adaptation. There was another adaptation also for one called Cool Air. Oh, God, yeah. That's such a good one. That that one, the the final element of that, and that one was mm-hmm. good because it was adapted by Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he really, he really hit it home. He really hit it home for that particular one. But that's some of the Lovecraft that just over the last few years... I've begun to see and reanimator I kind of veered away from because that was one that everybody seemed to really come at me with mm-hmm. whenever I talk about Lovecraft. Oh, well, you, you've seen reanimator, haven't you? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of like, well, it's a very, it's like the eighties. isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. the, the film's very so, mid eighties, I think mid to late eighties. Yeah, so the, the costuming and the effects are about what you'd expect. Um, it's, it's a well put together film that is yeah. appropriately disgusting in certain places because that's yeah. kind of the mid eighties gore level, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling off limbs at this point, we're... but they dance well together, the eighties the gore yes. and the Lovecraft. Yes. It's a, it's a good film. It is a good film. There is a terrible pun involved. Um, there's some gratuitous nudity, but it's, it's probably not anything that would raise any eyebrows in this day and age. Probably not, no. Um, there is one Lovecraft story that I have always wanted to see someone adapt, and, and it would it would be a Herculean undertaking, possibly Sisyphean, because uh, it is the search for the unknown caitiff. And this this thing is a ridiculously long story Lovecraft wrote uh, it's a quest cycle story, and it just, uh, the main character's name is escaping me at the moment, but he just goes everywhere, and he goes into the dreamlands, does not encounter Neil Gaiman Sandman, of course, because this is Lovecraft, and this is prior to Mr. Gaiman, but um, there are there are moon cats, people. There are cats on the moon, because... Lovecraft was many things, but he loved cats. And uh, in this particular story, there is a daring rescue on the moon because the cats can, of course, jump into shadows and teleport anywhere else. So they jump into the shadow in your house. They come out on the moon or in Timbuktu or London. And that's just what they do because cats. Uh, there's a short story about um, 
the cats of Ulm, U-L-M, and uh, that particular particular city comes comes into play here and there again through his work. He did he did do a lot of work with uh, mapping out a world, and uh, he was actually very generous with other writers, allowing them to play in that world. Yes. So um, there are several several works published, uh, collections of anthologies, short stories, where other authors are collaborating with Lovecraft and just taking characters or cities or places or concepts and running with them. And uh, I always felt that that added to the richness of the, the mythos that he built. Um, again, you know, terrible, terrible human, but excellent writer. And sometimes I think underrated. You've been searching rather intently. I'm double checking. I thought there was a couple of more, a couple mm -hmm. more uh, Stuart Gordon adaptations. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm finding those. There was one called Castle Freak. Oh. Uh, it was about 1995 when that was done. Uh, one that I remember, we, we saw it once, but it didn't really grab either one of us, mm. figuratively speaking. And it was called From Beyond. And it was from 1986. And it had a lot of the same people that were in the uh, reanimator. Interesting. I don't remember that at all. But it looks like somebody did a film adaptation of Cool Air. Really? From 1999. And there's, uh, there's, there's quite a few different things out there for Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. It's just tracking them down and actually being able to see them if they're available. Right. Uh, low budget or yeah. what have you and just yeah. you're mentioning cats and i wanted to talk about uh one of the films that uh it doesn't really have anything to do with lovecraft or poe but because we're talking cats mm. and it's either i talk about it now or whenever we talk about king and cat's eye right we mentioned it there just as a shout there's a film that peter cushing was in in 77 mm. called the uncanny in which every story is about cats. But again, we could also say as kind of a side note with King that King went back to cats a couple of different times. Mm -hmm. uh, cat's Eye was one of the first ones. And then later on, Sleepwalkers. Mm -hmm. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery also dealing with cats. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he's a cat guy or not. Was it King or Gaiman who wrote the short story about the cat guarding the house? I can't remember. It, I'm not tracking that it's King, so I'm. Right. it might be Gaiman. It might be Gaiman. It okay. Gaiman's work is often a little, more than a little bittersweet for me. Sometimes. Yeah, like Charles DeLint is very bittersweet sometimes, but Damon yeah. has got that quality. Yeah. Uh, so while I really enjoy a lot of his writing, uh, it's it's not the thing I reach for to be cheerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My apologies, Mr. Gaiman, but you know, <laughs> woof. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do want to. I 
I do want to talk a lot about Gaiman at some point, but yeah, there we'll is a lot that. of different things that I still need to look over. Right. Because I'm only familiar with a handful of his stories. Yeah. I would say the same about myself. I, I am by no means an expert in any, in any author. Um, All apologies to those of you that are Neil Gaiman fans. Right. I'm, I'm not up on my research, but I'm, I am trying and there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to get through. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to do. Um, yeah. So what other adaptations for Lovecraft? We've got, uh, more things that have Lovecraftian tone to them. Cause like, yeah. And for some of these, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if they have just a Lovecraftian tone, right? That there's some that I was looking at mm -hmm. that didn't really track. And I wasn't sure if it was something that was actually Lovecraft or if we're looking at Lovecraft themes, which right. we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, from the, for the copyright limitations and, and some of the issues surrounding it, sometimes we have to be content with Lovecraft themes. Yeah. Um, Rats in the walls is, uh, something that I don't think has had a full adaptation anywhere yet, except not yet. No radio. I'd heard that it's one of John Carpenter's favorites. Interesting. Which I, if uh, he's in, like Hellraiser, didn't he do that? Uh, no, no, he's, he's Halloween. Gotcha. He's the fog. Right. He is escape from New York. Right. He is big trouble in little China. Gotcha. To rattle off yeah. some of the ones that you would know. Yeah. Never seen Escape from New York. It's it's good. It's it's, got, uh, it's another Kurt Russell. Yes. So it's got Kurt Russell in it. It's a good film. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Russell. Hello. <laughs> You're lovely. <Yeah. Bradley. laughs> oh goodness. Um But there's there there is uh like you were saying, I mm -hmm. mean they, they touch on a lot of different themes and this is where a lot of filmmakers We'll use the word homage. Yes. To get by. Yeah. Some well, it's not it's it's meant to be an homage. Okay. And that's that's oh. how I think they they get by with it. And that's okay because mm -hmm. sometimes you can take particular themes and run them in a completely mm -hmm. different direction and have something really exciting on film. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. If you went with themes with Lovecraft, just touching touching on the idea of what makes it good story what makes a good kind of story if i want a lovecraft themed story lovecraft themes um absolutely unknow unknowable horror or unfathomable horror or yeah. overwhelming horror yeah um oftentimes he he did the you know i have just discovered a dubious thing about my family tree and now my sanity is questionable yeah um there's always the, the whole mythos of the ancient ones, you know, this, this yeah. vast, yeah. horrible, you know, giant race of terrifyingly unknowable things that could squash you flat and were yeah. often squishy and squamous. That's a lovely word. Squamous. <laughs> um, so I think a, a good Lovecraft adaptation needs to have that murky atmosphere. It needs to have a lot of that subtle suspense and that subtle wrongness. Mm. I mean, when you go to Innsmouth, people's eyes do need to be too widely set in their faces and they do need to have like shadows on their neck for the gills. And the, yeah. they do need to look kind of fishy, literally fishy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and the, the film adaptation of Dagon does that in kind of a really gritty and kind of gross way, but I, yeah. you need that in a Lovecraft story. You need the slime and you need the grit and just kind of the grossness <laughs> sometimes. I mean, Poe could get away with a little more highbrow, you know, we're in a nice neat library and there are nice neat books, but there's this, there's this bird on, on the bust above the door and it's yelling at me. Um, and that's dreadful. And in the old sense of the word, that is dreadful and terrifying, but Lovecraft, you need it kind of wet and squishy, I think. With Poe, he had very much a Victorian Gothic yeah. pulse, and he definitely set the stage for a bunch, a ton of different writers that were to follow him. Mm-hmm. And even Lovecraft tried that for a short bit, but I think if we didn't have Lovecraft, we wouldn't have someone like Clive Barker now. I think you're right. Yeah. I think we wouldn't have people like that who mm-hmm. really who really are able to do the the gross out or tell the kind mm-hmm. of stories where you need something that that in depth and yeah. sometimes gory. Yeah. I mean he never really does gore. I mean absolute squish and, and rot and weird Are you referring to Lovecraft, Lovecraft or Barker? Yeah no Bar- Barker does gore. Uh <laughs> but Lovecraft. Lovecraft actually like even Mountains of Madness, when you come yeah. upon a scene of uh, explorers who have been dissected, yeah, you don't get graphic descriptions of dismembered corpses, which is yeah. kind of refreshing. Yeah, um, and you might go into more detail if it's on film or something yes. like that. And going back to Barker just for a second, I would say that most of the time with the gore, a lot of what you see on film with Barker. I would be quick to defend and say Mm -hmm. it's part of the story. You need to see that to Mm -hmm. see the element of how much deep shit our (laughs) heroes are in. Right, right. Because if you don't see that, then you you don't know. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel terribly gratuitous. We are coming at the end of our half hour, though. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else you want to wrap up with? Well, one of the things I was going to mention was is that uh, I noticed, too, that with a lot of Lovecraft stories, their ending is always just, oh, my God, here it comes up the steps. <laughs> it's coming for me. This is the end. Pray for me. I tried. Sort of element. <laughs> Perfect. And so with that, I think that's how we're going to end this particular it's episode. It's coming up the stairs. It's coming right for us. It's oh, my sink. God. The tentacles. The tentacles. The tentacles, the eyes, the yellow eyes, man. <laughs> the yellow eyes, man. And oh, God. Laugh. They look right through me. Sorry, I'm channeling a Shatner. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and she laughed herself to death. The end. This has been Couch and Coffee Table with Michael Perry. And Heather Perry. Please join us again soon.